Um, at our house, we have a device, a lot of you do too, it's called a wireless router. We keep ours behind the TV. And every once in a while, a the router seems like it doesn't work very well. And, and, and the, the Wi-Fi signal gets all bogged down. There's, nothing's coming through. So what do you do? You go and you hit reset. You can unplug it and plug it back in, but usually hit reset. Now, I also have uh, a little electronic reader called a Kindle Paperwhite. And I've had it for a number of years. I really like reading from it. Uh, but after I'd had it a few years, it got so it wasn't, you know, I would tap the screen to turn the page and just wait for it to finally come over to the next page. And I thought, what's wrong with it? Well, what I learned is that I have to do a reset, and which means I have to hold that power button in for about 30 seconds, and somehow that changes everything, and it cleans all the gunk out, I guess, that's in there, and, and it, it restarts, and this time, wow, it works just like when it was new. You know, electronic devices uh, can get crowded with too much stuff in them, too much data, and they can get corrupted by malware. And sometimes the only solution is to restore it back to its original condition. First, what you have to do is you have to back up what you don't want to lose and then hit reset. Well, this Sunday, we are starting this new series for Advent called Reset. And by the way, we have reset devotional books for you. Um, so if you haven't picked one up the last couple of weeks, please do so today. They take you actually from December 1st to December 25th. And if you, when you walk out of the, uh, into the foyer, out of the worship center, and turn left toward the east entrance, you'll see them there on a the table, a stacks of them. We've given away a whole bunch already. I'm hoping we can give away nearly all of them, the rest of them today. Um, after I graduated from seminary, I had been going to school for 20 years, right? I'd been going to school since kindergarten, and suddenly I had to learn a new skill, and that is following a calendar. You know, in my line of life, you live and die by your calendar. Anyway, I ordered one uh, from daytimers. Did anybody here ever have a daytimer calendar? Lots of you did. They were big, right? And uh, I got one that was about as big as my hand here, and, and I had a leather cover with a, with a loop for my mechanical pencil. And I opened it up, and I could see a week at a glance. And remember that, remember that little corner where that was perforated? And you would tear those corners off so that every time you opened it, you could come real quickly to the current week. I carried around that day timer for decades. That leather cover just really got worn. And, and uh, then finally I moved up to a Palm Pilot. Anybody remember those? And then now, my, of course, my calendar is on my phone. You know, your calendar and what's on it says a lot about you, doesn't it? Right? It says a lot about your life. Shows what's important to you. Today, we begin the season of Advent, which is the beginning of the Christian year. Did you know that? I mean, we always think of uh, January 1st, and in one calendar, that's, of course, the main calendar we use. That's the beginning of the year. But in the Christian year, today is the new year. 
It's the perfect time for a reset. Do you ever wish the, re the world had a reset button? Isn't that a beautiful button, by the way? <laughs> you ever wish the world had a reset button? Have you ever gotten a call from somebody saying that they're from the IRS and they want to tell you about your taxes? What do you do? Hang up because it's not the IRS. I was reading this last week, maybe some of you saw it, that they are estimating that 30% of incoming calls, even on your cell phone this year, are scam calls. And, and it's predicted by, that by next year, half of all incoming calls will be scams. What a crazy world. Don't you wish the world had a reset button? One of the tactics uh, of porch pirates now is that they go around neighborhoods following delivery trucks. They wait for them to stop, take a package up to the door. When the truck drives off, they go very quickly and, and, uh, and make their move. This is the world we live in. So far this year in Omaha, we have seen 20 murders since January 1st. One of those was the daughter of a pastor that I'm acquainted with. And I know what a heartbreak that was for him. And not only that, but this young woman's mother was murdered here in Omaha nine years ago. We hear about mass shootings so often in this country, we're almost numb to them. According to some sources, the last, in the last few years in the U.S., there's been an average of nearly one mass shooting a day. The world needs a reset, a peace on earth, goodwill toward all. We keep hearing stories of, of sexual abuse at the hands of clergy and coaches and doctors people we should be able to trust. One day when I was in junior high, I was one of those victims. Me too. And God sees what's going on in our lives even more clearly than we do. And it breaks his heart to see how we keep hurting ourselves by going our own way. God sees us when we put priority on so many things while leaving him on the sideline. God sees us turn uh, for comfort to so many things like alcohol and, and shopping and, and, and busyness uh, rather than finding our meaning and our comfort in him. God sees the, the sacredness of sex that intended to be a gift for marriage and turned it into recreation. Whenever, with whomever. And he sees the pain that we bring on ourselves. He sees the consequences we bring on ourselves. It's time for a reset. Please open your Bible with me to Hebrews chapter 1, beginning a verse there, the beginning of the book. Uh, in the Pew Bible, it's on page 1204. And if you are here today and you don't have a Bible at home, then just take that Pew Bible home with you, will you? We would love for you to keep have it and keep it. It's yours. Now, the book of Hebrews is very hard to read, but I love these first few verses. One of my favorite in the Bible. And one thing they do is they give us a clue as to how the Old Testament and the New Testament relate to each other, how they're the same and yet different. Verse 1 says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets. At 
many times and in various ways. And the two big words here in this sentence are God spoke. Will you say that with me? God spoke. God is not silent. Isn't that really good news? God spoke. He spoke to the people of Israel so that one day all the earth would hear. God spoke when? What does it say? In the past. You know, some Christians have given up reading the Old Testament. I think that's a mistake. Because in the past, from when this was written, in the past means in the times of the Old Testament. In the past, God spoke through the prophets. And not just a few times, but in, at many times and in various ways. Last Sunday, uh, I had a little converse, side conversation uh, with somebody asking about Judaism. And they said, is it wrong? And I said, no, it's not wrong. It's, it's incomplete. It's, it's the promise without the fulfillment. Going back to verse 1, so it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. Verse 2 then starts with a very important word signaling a change, but, but in these last days. He has spoken to us by His Son. God spoke before, but now in His Son, He has spoken to us definitively. And when it says in these last days, that is code in the Bible for in the days when God's promises are fulfilled. Jesus is God's reset button. And He launched a movement of people from all nations who even today are being renewed and restored and reborn in Christ. And that movement, spread by the Holy Spirit, continues throughout the world. A few days ago, I watched a video from National Geographic. Uh, and they were interviewing men who had been uh, headhunters from the Cognac tribe in northern India. And in, in their culture, the more uh, heads of their enemies these men came home with, the more power they got from that and the more prestige they got as well. And, and the video showed in one particular home there were racks of, racks of dozens of skulls of, of people that, that they, their, their family had killed. And then one day, a missionary came to live among them. And when, when the missionary first told them about Jesus, they, they were not interested. And yet, the more they saw the way these Christians lived, and the more they heard the message, the more interested they became. That was decades ago. And today, more than 90% of the cognacs follow Jesus and trust Him as their Savior. One older man in the video considers how much their lives have changed since then, since he was a young man. He said, he said, I don't miss the old traditions much. We have kept the good things in our tradition and have let the bad things go. God did a reset on the cognac headhunters. In these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son. 
You know, I've, I've mentioned from time to time here with you that, it, you know, I've not made a secret that I've dealt with anxiety all my life. Um, and I've done, you know, various things, you know, trying to deal with it. One of the things that I did some years, not that many years ago, was I decided to go see a counselor again. And uh, th I felt like I was really making some progress with this. Uh, maybe I don't know whether it was the counselor or I was just more ready for it, but I, you know, I stayed with it for a year and a half. And, and that's a big investment because, you know, counseling costs a good bit of money. And it's, I don't know if you've, if you've never been in counseling, I can tell you this, it can be hard emotional work. <laughs> it, you know, you have to really want to do this. But it was worth it for me because I wanted to be an emotionally healthier person. And, and, and even now, I mean, I still deal with anxieties, but I'm still, but I'm much more likely to respond in ways that, you know, in trusting God and in ways that keep those anxieties more manageable and less d disruptive in my life. So I would say that that has been one of the resets in my life. So this morning, I, I want to share with you uh, a truth that I believe is, is profound and, and simple as well. Here it is. Jesus' work in my life will come through a series of resets. That, that's how often he's going to keep working in your life. It's through these, these periodic resets in your life. Uh, and that's how, as the Bible says, uh, he keeps carrying on his good work in you until it is completed. So let's say this together, shall we? Jesus' work in my life will come through a series of resets. And we need them. We need these resets. Because it's so easy for us to chase after other things. Uh, and that are going to lead us down a different path. The Bible calls them idols. So we chase after accomplishments, whether it's a sports trophy or some other kind of thing. We chase after the admiration of our peers. We chase after the numbing effects of whatever drug we find we can't live without. We chase after, you know, grasping for more money and more, for more stuff that the money can buy. And why do we do that? We chase after them to soothe these feelings of inadequacy inside us. These, these idols, they promise a lot, don't they? They promise to make us happy. They promise to keep us satisfied. But these idols never keep their promises. They always let us down. There is only one who can reset our lives. And in the rest of verse 2 and in verse 3, we learn seven things about Jesus and why he alone is, is worthy to reset our lives. And so what I've done is I've made that into a list. So I'm just going to put the list here. You see it on the screen. He is the source of all things. He is the end of all things. He is the sustainer of all things. He represents exactly who God is. He shines God's beauty into your life. He laid down his life to purify you 
of your sins. He now reigns with the Father, which means he has authority over all things. You know, sometimes people believe that Jesus was just a wise sage who happened to be really in tune with God, and he said a lot of cool things that are worth listening to, but he is so much more than that. Uh, and, and his work in your life is going, to, is going to keep happening through a series of resets. Now, some of these resets are going to be s- small things, but some of them are going to be huge. All of them are going to be life-changing. I want to tell you a story about some friends of mine named Greg and Ann. I've been to their house many times. Um, I was in contact with them this last week, and they gave me permission to share with you their story. Um, Now, I'm going to share their story as the original tellers because when their their first version of it, they wrote it out as we, (laughs) you know, so it's in the first person. But then when they talk about one of them, then they talk about he or she or they mention first names. But it's, it's the story coming from them. We had just celebrated our eighth wedding anniversary, but we both knew things were not right. We fought a lot about responsibility, kids, sex, Extended family, money, you name it. We had different visions of where our marriage would take us in the years to come. We started seeing a counselor with a Christian background. He, he was very good uh, about making us do the talking. He never told us how we were feeling and rarely ever, if ever, took sides. We, we worked through some exercises he, he gave us homework, and it did seem to help. We did very well right after the appointments. And then we would slide back into old habits. Then things seemed to be going pretty well. Uh, we both felt really good and had started to think about weaning ourselves off of counseling. Then February hit. A couple days after our ninth anniversary, one of our ugliest issues came crashing back into our lives. We, we were at square one and more frustrated than ever. We'd been attending a church and had gotten involved, but even church became a point of conflict in our marriage. We continued counseling, but it, it wasn't really helping. We wanted it to work, but... Maybe that was the point. We wanted it to work. We didn't want to work. Over the next several months, our relationship continued to deteriorate. Uh, We finally agreed with our counselor that separation was the next step, that maybe we needed that shock value to get us to recommit to working on this. Greg moved out of the house in mid-August. Because of our separation, we missed out on some pretty big stuff in each other's lives. 
Greg's cousin got married in late August, and Ann didn't attend the wedding. Ann's grandmother died in September, but Greg didn't go to the funeral. While Ann was on her way to Wisconsin for the funeral, Greg got laid off from his job. Then came Thanksgiving, Christmas, Ann's birthday, our 10th wedding anniversary, a nephew's dedication, Easter, 4th of July, all were celebrations uh, either missed or tainted by our separation. Greg moved five times that one year. He didn't feel like he had a home anymore. And Ann felt completely alone in our home by herself. We also didn't think that we could go to the same church while we were separated. It was too painful. Ann left. Greg stayed. Ann was jealous of the support that she knew that Greg was getting while she got nothing. Ann at attended church very rarely. Um, she didn't know where to go, and it was hard to go alone. We were still going to a counselor, though, hoping he would fix our problems. We aren't sure what kept us going because we both felt like we weren't getting anywhere. We loved each other, but we just couldn't figure out how to jump over our hurdles. We had agreed that a full year of separation was as long as we could take it. September 1 was do-or-die day. And as that date grew closer, we still couldn't get things figured out. Finally, along with our counselor, we, we decided we were done. Done trying. And our last appointment with the counselor was on August 26th. We all agreed that divorce was the next step for us. Our problems were too big to overcome. After we left that appointment, we decided that we were going to wait one more week until September 1st to the, the deadline. We just, we just couldn't make ourselves do it any sooner. We wanted to be sure that we were doing the right thing. We, we agreed not to talk to each other that week and that we'd see each other that day, that Sunday afternoon. And that, that, then we'd start moving on. Without saying it, both of us knew we'd be getting divorced. On September 1st, Anne came to a new church for the first time with her sister. The, the, the feeling she experienced that morning, she says, cannot be described. It felt so good, so right, so hopeful. Anne doesn't remember what the message even was that day. But when she left, she knew she didn't want our marriage to end. She went to see Greg that afternoon and noticed that he had taken off his wedding ring and told him what had happened to her that morning and the impact that it had had on her. She told him she realized that they had been depending on all the wrong people to fix their marriage 
we depended a lot on our counselor and too little on ourselves to fix our problems. But what we really needed to do was give it all to God. Rely on God to mend what was broken. Greg says that is the only possible thing she could have said that day that could have prevented them from going to the attorneys for a divorce. He said it was like all the weight was lifted from our shoulders. We sat down and we prayed together. We started over that day. We decided we'd wasted too much time on negative things and we wanted to leave it all behind. Greg moved home that day. Soon after, we sold our home and, uh, you know, leaving all the bad memories behind, we built a new home, a place to build new memories. We started attending the new church together and it felt like home. We began growing in our faith together. We joined a small group. Now we have more friends from church than anywhere else. We can say that our marriage is stronger now than ever. Instead of focusing on ourselves as the foundation, Jesus is now the foundation. And they end their story with this. We believe in miracles. Our marriage is one of them. That's Greg and Ann's story. It's a, it's a reset story in their lives. Maybe the biggest one, but I'm sure there have been others. Because God does that. J Jesus works in your life through a series of resets. And so, as I look out at you, I'm wondering, what is the reset you need right now what is the reset that God might be already beginning to start in you showing you how much you need it showing you that there is hope for you to begin this restart what is that restart that you need maybe you're already in the thick mess of it but you need to know that God is a part of this and this is a restart that's going to have, that's going to yield good results for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you alone have come to be with us and you are qualified to bring a reset into our lives because you are the beginning of all things, you are the end of all things, you are the sustainer of all things. You lay down your life to forgive us of our sins. You shine God's beauty and glory into our lives. And you are the one who reigns above. And so, we ask you to begin a reset for us. Whatever we're going through, whatever it is that we need right now, we say, Lord, here we are. We have to rely on you and you alone. And Lord, if you have the power to, to turn a headhunting tribe away from that life of violence and lead them into the path of peace, Lord, we know that you can do a reset in our lives. 
So, Lord, we want to keep trusting you, walking with you, leaning on you more than we ever thought we could. I trust that you will do your good work in us and bring it to completion. We pray in your great name. Amen.